Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Well, thank you to our praise team. I know here in Rossville did a fantastic job. Would you thank them? Hey, man, great job leading us in worship today. Man, fantastic. Hey, so I started a sermon series uh, a few well, last week entitled Glue, Making Your Family Stick. Because here's the deal. Sometimes you get the feeling your family can be falling apart, whether it's your marriage, your parenting, whether it's your uh, communication, whether it's your finances. And we, we will use this word. We'll, we'll say we're coming unglued. I've heard that so much over the years. Well, we're going to talk about how to glue it back together because there is hope that we can find in Scripture. Now, I'm preaching a little differently than I normally do. If you're a first-time guest, it's a little different than me. Normally, I take a passage of Scripture and I expound on that passage. We call that expository preaching. However, what I'm doing during this series is topical preaching, and I'm really teaching more than I'm preaching. And so if you'll bear with me uh, and take a lot of notes, we make the notes and the sermon available online at pvine.org slash glue, pvine.org slash glue. And of course, the um, sermons, audio and video are available on our app. Now, let me show you this. We just added this this week, and I think we sent out an email to it. If you go to your app and you go down to the bottom to mobile wallpapers, there's an invite card just for this sermon series. So if you want to invite somebody to hear some of these family sermons, there's an invite card that you can text or post on social media or Facebook Messenger it, however you want to do it. Um, we don't have physical cards. We just made it a digital card. So if you want to send that out, uh, feel free uh, to do that. Last week's sermon, seven Seven ways to make your marriage stick. Here's what I want to preach on today, and that is five ways to parent like a pro. Let me see if I can get an amen right here. Wait, let me say it first. But I love the enthusiasm, though. I love it. All right, here we go. Parenting is hard. Right. right. Kind of starts off hard, right? Like when, when, our, when our first child was born, Savannah, about, I think I was 22 years old, maybe, and, and um, she was, she was about three and a half weeks early. We only had to stay in the hospital an extra day, and we're bringing her home. And, and I, I, the picture is so vivid in my mind. Sherry has her on the bed, and she's putting her little go-home dress on her. And I, I started looking around, and she said, what's the deal? And I said, they're just going to let us walk out of here with this baby? <laughs> and she said, yeah, baby, that's what we do. We walk out. And I said, I know, but I, they're not going to show me a video or something. Like, I, I don't know what to do. Like, this is the first diaper I've ever, like, I don't know what to do, Sherry. I don't know if you get it. I don't know what to do. I was terrified I was going to somehow drill through the soft spot on her head and kill the baby. And I don't know anything about baby. And, like, there should be a video of loss and something. No, they just let you walk out with a baby. And about the time you think you have it figured out, they turn 13 years old. And then that, that stuff in the beginning, but I mean, in the beginning, it looks hard. And so Josh Michaela had their first baby and, and, and you know, little Jax is still in NICU and it's, it's been a rough road for them. Please, please pray for them and, and just encourage them. But Michaela snuck and videoed Josh's first blowout diaper change. 
if you don't have kids, you'll know what I'm talking about one day. So we're going to jack the volume up really loud on this because I got permission uh, from Michaela to show this. And uh, she sent it to us, you know, a couple weeks ago. And, and it's really not what you see. It's you have to hear the panic in Josh's voice. You'll, you'll get it. Turn it up. Turn the lights down because this is worth it. There you go. Oh. <laughs> hear it all Josh is like is this normal and he, you don't know he's talking to the nurse he's like y'all need to do something here like this is not normal <laughs> no buddy it's not normal it gets worse from there right like it, 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 it worse in more ways than one now I want to tell you this as a as a pastor please I, I, my two kids are grown mine are 29 and uh 20 um five this year and so I want to I want to understand we Please hear me. I'm, I'll tell a couple of family things. I try not to do a whole lot of that, but please, please hear me. We were not perfect parents, not even close. As a matter of fact, had it been left to me, I'd have raised serial killers. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. Had it not been for my wife, like, we, we would have been in really bad shape. So when I used to preach parenting sermons, when I had kids at home still, I, I used to make this disclaimer, why well, I make no promises with my kids. And I, I didn't. I didn't make any promises with my kids uh, because it's just... Um, just the way it is, man. You just don't always know, and I'll talk about why in just a moment. But I, I want to say, now we're empty nesters, and all the empty nesters said, amen. amen, right? And we're empty nesters. And I'll just say, my kids were, turned out awesome, awesome, despite what I did. But parenting is hard. Like, it's difficult. But in this day and age, we've made it so much harder than, than it should be. Like, we, we've complicated it. Now, keep in mind, I'm from the generation of I'm, I'm almost in my 40s and I'm from the generation, that's not a joke, I am almost in my 40s and I'm from the generation of, uh, you know, keep in mind, my mom put me outside in the summer times with a jug of ice Kool-Aid and she locked the door behind me. Like she said, was she not worried? Yeah, she was worried I was going to come back in the house. That's what she was worried about. I stayed outside 12 hours a day. She'd shovel food under the door. Like, don't come in the house. Like, like, so we went from that generation to now we have, we're way too obsessed with our kids. Way too obsessed. Don't be offended by that. It just is. Use it as relief. Look at your kid this morning, today on the way home say, I'm way too obsessed with you. It's me time now. Like, like, you know, it's a, but here's the deal. We, we turned into helicopter parents and we turned into overparenting and we worry too much and we try too hard. And, and we just saw an example of that in news recently. You remember these um, uh, six people here, they, federal authorities arrested, charged 50 people in a $25 million fraud where they were, they were making fake donations to charities. They were, they were falsifying records saying that they were athletes when they were not. And uh, they were trying to get their kids into Georgetown, Yale, Stanford, USC. And two of these people, you'll recognize them on the picture, Lori Laughlin and uh, Felicity Huffman, they both play great moms on television. But the sting, I love the FBI, man. I love when FBI does stuff like this. The sting was entitled Operation Varsity Blues. I love that. 
Uh, we're not going to call it case number nine. We're going to call it Operation Varsity Blues. I love that. And, and they arrested all these people. You know, a lot of them pled guilty already. And so when you ask this group of people, these parents, they would, they're, they're, here's what they're saying. Well, we were just trying to be good parents. But is that what a good parent is? And I want to say this to you today. We're not just going to focus this morning on being a good parent. We're going to focus on being a good and godly parent. Because that godly part matters when you raise your children. So I encourage you to take notes. Again, all these will be online, but I really encourage you to write down some things that are speaking to your heart this morning. It may not be everything, but there's some things you want to write down. And before we get into the five ways to parent like a pro, can I just make some statements that you need to know? Number one, you need to know kids are impressionable. That, that the tendency seems to be for them to pick up all of your bad habits and magnify them. Right? You've seen it already. There have been times you want to get on your kids and you can't because they learned it from you. And let me hear this statement. What you do in moderation, they tend to do in excess. So be careful the impression you leave on your children because what you're doing in moderation, they tend to uh, do in excess. But number two, know this, kids are resilient. They bounce back faster than you think. Now that doesn't mean you can't do them lasting harm. Of course you can. It just means don't stress out about everything because uh, they, they do bounce back. They're a little resilient. Number three, I've got some bad, bad news for you as a parent. You won't do everything right. Well, you can read all the books you want to, watch all the YouTube videos you want to, talk to all the people you want to, and you are going to make mistakes. The best thing to do is just own up to them and learn and move on. But I've got good news for you. The good news is you won't do everything wrong. If you love your kids at all, you're going to have good days and bad days, good moments and bad moments, and you're going to do some things that are right, and sometimes you just need to know that. Number five, you need to know this. This is a hard one to learn. It's not all up to you as the parent. You say, well, who's it up to? Well, look, God's got a hand in it himself. You know how I know that? Because I have seen heathen, godless parents have a kid that gets saved in high school and go all out for Jesus. And the parents never did get saved. You know what that tells me? That's just God right there. And, and there, I pray this prayer. I'm going to talk about this in another sermon. I pray this prayer. Lord, help me when, help, help, fix my kids for the mistakes I'm making. Like I, I know I'm messing them up. So you help me, Lord. You, you patch some of that over. Because it's not all to you. It's up to them too. Look, if you're a teenager, hey, you, 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 you got to own your mess a little bit. You got to own your responsibilities. It's up to them. It's up to their, look, their environment plays a factor. Their friends play a factor. Their decisions, their, their physical and mental health play a factor into all that. All factor into that. So give yourself a little bit. It's got a lot to do with you, but it's not all up to you. And let me tell you number six. Boy, you need to know this one. Don't judge the movie by a snapshot. You say, what do you mean? I said, in the 18 plus years you spend raising your children, you're going to have some major ups and some major downs. You're going to want the trophy for the parent of the year one moment, and in the next day, you're going to want to give them up to adoption for somebody who can do better than you with them, like you messed them up. Can I give you some advice? When things are going well, don't write a book. I can't tell you how many ministry men, preachers, and their wives write parenting books when they have a seven-year-old. Can I tell you something? Chill, baby. <laughs> Why do they get a driver's license? <laughs> then write your book. Number two, when things are going bad, 
don't give up. Don't, don't take a snapshot, watch the movie. It'll be all right. Number seven, know this. Parenting is a process, not an event. Just keep getting better. Don't make the same mistakes over and over. And you'll hear me say this in future weeks. Pray a whole lot. So how does a parent understand all that? How do you parent like a pro? Let me give you five things quickly. Number one is this. Have your own stuff together. Let me read you these verses. Matthew 7, 3 through 5. Why do you look the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, that's not specifically a parenting verse or passage, but it obviously applies to parenting. That The first thing we need to understand about parenting is that your child is going to be a reflection of you. That like, I know you're not the only thing, so much, play, but your child is going to be a reflection of you. And if you don't have it together, that is going to come out in them. And right, you just know that sometimes your kid does something stupid and uh, mama says, yep, that's your daddy and you right there. Like she's seen you do it. Right, like, like that your kids are a reflection of you. Like, we, like God even tells us that because we see that physically, right? Because like old people, we become obsessed with who the like, old people, they become obsessed with what a newborn baby looks like, right? You've seen that, right? Like the grandchild gets born, everybody's obsessed with who he looks like. Well, he looks like a wrinkly raisin right now is what he looks like. He's not. Please don't tell me he looks like me, but here's the deal. With little Jackson in the hospital, uh, uh, it's been a running joke in our family that people are posting all over his pictures that Jackson looks like me. And it's got Josh very upset. Like Josh is taking pictures of, he's having his mama go get pictures of Josh when he's a kid and, and he's, he's sending us pictures of Josh as a kid and Jackson as a baby, as Josh as a baby and Jackson as a baby and Josh is sending it to us in our family text, text and, 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 and me and Sherry like, yeah, I don't see it. Look, look, looks like me, best, best I can tell. Looks like me. I don't know who he looks like, but, but we know he's going to be a reflection of somebody. And here's the trouble, that it's not just a physical reflection. It is in the way they live because you'll see it in a toddler. They start acting like mom and dad. And here's the trouble. That carries on and magnifies the older they get. Because, listen, kids spot hypocrisy immediately. Their brains are wired that way. You tell your kid to eat your green beans. If you have one green bean left on your plate, he'll say, well, you didn't eat yours. You tell your kids to go to bed at 9 o'clock, they'll say, well, you're not going to bed. Yeah, but I'm, I'm 30 years old. Kid, you go to like Like they... They spot hypocrisy. And so here's what you have to understand. They're going to mimic you. So parents, you have to be the better person in order to be a better parent. Let me give you some ways that matter. Number one is this. Have a good marriage. All research, secular and non-secular, shows that a good marriage is important to a kid's well-being. If parents are fighting and in constant stress, then that negativity affects your parenting. Here's what we learned. There are more than 50 medical studies that show a link between parental stress and childhood illness, both mental and physical. A stressful marriage makes a stressed out child. A stressful marriage makes for a bad parent. You know what you can do to be a better parent? Make your marriage better. 
There are study after study after study after study that shows kids thrive when mom and dad love one another. So to be a good parent, have a good marriage. And if you need help on that, I preached that sermon last week. Number two, work out your financial, emotional, and spiritual well-being. You're going to want your kids to have it together, so model the way. So you've got to figure out how to work out your own financial well-being. I talked about that some last week. You, you've got to work out your own emotional well-being. Like, Mom, you, you, Dad, you, you've got to have your stuff together emotionally. You've got to work out your spiritual well-being. Here's what I mean. Your sin, your habits, your language is going to be magnified. They hear it all, and they see it all. So work out your own stuff. Number, number three, Grow. You become a better person and you'll be a better parent. Just because you're an adult parent doesn't mean you start growing as a person. Matter of fact, you, you know, if you go through our house, uh, my wife decorates with books. We have over the years bought hundreds and I, I would even say thousands of books. My office is filled. We have books everywhere. My wife decorates with books. If you went through our house and you, you flipped those books over and you saw the title, the vast majority of those books in our home are on parenting, kids, being a better wife, being a better husband being a better family, over and over again, communicating, all that stuff is on there. Why? Because we were trying to grow and be a better person, knowing that if I became a better person, I'd be a better parent. So you want to be a better parent? Number one, have your stuff together. Number two, make home happy. Two very, very important Bible verses here, Colossians 3, 21 and Proverbs 17, 22. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Proverbs 17, 22, a merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Here's a fact. If your home is full of stress, anger, uh, anxiety, yelling, your kids are going to be less happy. And here's what you're going to notice. When they have a choice, when they can decide, instead of their friends coming to your house, they're going to go to their friends' house. Uh, Mom and dad, I'm just telling you, don't be walking anxiety. Don't be walking drama. Michaela used to call those kind of people dramatized. Man, they're just dramatized. It's like they've been injected with a dose of drama. And sometimes a mama will invent drama where none exists. Mama's like, hey, to the teenage daughter, did you notice they treated you poorly? No, I didn't notice. Did they? Yeah, yeah. And I'm upset. Would I let that go? Don't invent drama. Play down drama. Keep drama on the down low. Because your home is not going to be happy if it is full of anxiety, it's full of drama. Sherry and I always had the goal, and I'm not going to talk about it a whole lot, but just a little bit. Sherry and I always had the goal to make it, we talked about it, it was, a, it was a goal from the time our kids were small to make our home the funniest and happiest home it could be. We wanted our kids bringing their friends to our house, and so we didn't have the most toys, we didn't have the most money, but we tried to have the best spirit of any home. So consequently, when our kids were growing up, kids always came to our house. We always had kids. As a matter of fact, since I had girls... Uh, my, my, our girl friends of our friends would ask to come to our house and hang out, get this, with Sherry. The friend would go missing. And Savannah McKenna would be like, hey, have you seen so-and-so? You know, we would find them on my bed with my wife sitting there talking on the bed. Because she listened. She didn't offer advice unless it was asked. And she encouraged and tried to make it a happy home. Kids came over. Look, our favorite thing to do was uh, we'd go to Chuck E. Cheese. We staff drove by Chuck E. Cheese up in Hicks another day, and we got talking about it. And they're like, "Yeah, remember Chuck E. Cheese?" I said, I'll, "I'll go there right now if you want to." I love Chuck E. Cheese. 
Like, I love it. I love the pizza there. And I don't think it's because they made great pizza. I don't love it just because of the game. I think I have such good memories there because when life got a little dull or stressful, we just pack up in the car and go to Chuck E. Cheese somewhere. Trying to make homes fun. Now, look what this verse says. Do not provoke. That word in the Greek means to irritate, make angry, or stir up. Listen, if you have an irritating home, your kids will become discouraged and you'll break their spirit. But consequently, a happy home encourages children. And look, it is like a medicine to your home. The best thing you can do in your house sometimes is just laugh. So let me give you some ideas how to make your home happy. Number one, listen, don't lecture. Constant lecturing does two things. It closes them off and it drives them away. They don't want to tell you anything if everything they tell you resorts to a lecture. Instead, ask questions and listen. There's never been a lecture that brought happiness to a child. You have never said to your child, hey, let's talk, and them go, oh boy. <laughs> amen? Say it. Say amen. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're great. Number two, play games, go outside. All kinds of research says going outside is good for the family. Play games. We have been gamers all of our lives. In college, when our girls were in college, we liked to play a lot of card games. We played Nerd, Spades, Phase 10, you name it. We've played Rook. We've played an enormous amount of games. Our kid, we played Monopoly. We've played Clue, uh, Yahtzee, the list goes on and on. Our kids get a new board game. From the time they were a little bitty, every Christmas, we get a new game. We'd go in the driveway and shoot basketball for hours. Get this, I didn't have boys. I had two girls. I, I played video games with my kids. My wife snuck a picture one time. I don't, I don't love this picture, but I'm going to show it to you for a sermon point in Jesus' name. There's a picture of us laying on the bed, belly and all. And that's Michaela, and that's Savannah, and that good-looking guy's me. And that is a PlayStation 1, and we're playing FIFA soccer, PlayStation 1. Because I wasn't going to play games by myself. I was going to play it with my kids. Number three, I'm going to quote that great theologian, the Joker. Why so serious? Lighten the mood around the home. Number four, you want to have a happy home? Your burden is not their burden. Kids don't need to carry the burden of the household. It's the parents' responsibility. Your stress is not their stress. In a survey of thousands of families, the head of the Family and Work Institute uh, asked, if you were granted one wish about your parents, what would it be? And they thought it would be more time, and that was on the list, or more money, but they were wrong. Here's what it was. The kids' number one wish was that their parents were less tired and less stressed. Studies have shown that parental stress weakens children's brains, depletes their immune system, increases the risk of obesity, diabetes, allergies, mental illness, and get this, even tooth decay. Your stress is not their stress. Your burden is not their burden. Can I tell you this? Let me tell you a couple things. Number one, I was, especially in my early churches when I pastored, there was an enormous amount of stress. We had some weird business meetings back in the day. You remember business meetings in churches? You're never quite sure. You get, you get nauseous at a business meeting. Never quite sure. We had some weird, strong, angry business meetings for no reason whatsoever, and we never told our kids a thing. Every now and then they'd come to us and say, hey, somebody said it was rough Wednesday night. Oh, it's fine, baby, it's fine. We, we financially, we, we, had, we had, when I left the business world and went into the pastorate, it, it cost us financially and we, we had, at times we had almost nothing. And there were times we had to tell our kids we didn't have the money for something, but we never shared financial stress with our children. Why? That's my burden. 
A 12-year-old is not equipped to carry your burden. Don't pour out into your child. Don't pour your stress into your child. If your marriage is not good, never, ever, ever talk about it with your children. Never. They're not designed. Their emotions cannot handle that. They can't deal with financial pressure. They can't deal with emotional stress. They're in a development stage, not a solving the problem stage in life. Your burden is not their burden. Let me show you the second thing. The fifth thing, second thing, <laughs> y'all wish. Um, uh, fifth thing, organize and slow down. Let me tell you this. Thank you for those who've taken the survey so far. I really need your help with this sermon series. There are three questions I'd love for you to answer. They're all on the app. And if you'd go answer those questions sometime today, I'd love it. But here's the number one thing on the parenting question. The number one thing mentioned was this. If you could go back and tell yourself something before you left the hospital room with that kid, what would you tell yourself, your new parent self? And here's what they said. Number one, hands down, mentioned over and over again, slow down. Because the reason we can't slow down is our lives are too hectic. Now, what I'm going to say here is a little controversial, but can I tell you this? If someone had told us this when we were young, I, I, I'd have given, I'd have emptied my bank account to have learned what I'm about to learn, tell you right now. Slowing down doesn't mean letting the responsibilities go. So you can hold your baby or play with your kids. That's not what's slowing down. That's never going to make your home happy. Slowing down is about organizing your life and fulfilling your responsibilities so that you can enjoy time with your kids and slow down. Ladies, that means, I hate that you have a, an example. You got a whole chapter on a woman. We don't really have that. But you got that whole Proverbs 31 chapter. Listen, that Proverbs 31 woman, she ran multiple businesses and had her life so organized, had her family so organized that her children rose up and called her blessed. This is not a lady who did nothing. This was a lady that ran multiple businesses and organized her life to slow it down. Men, that means... It, as a man, we handle our responsibilities. We organize our lives so that you can enjoy your kids. Let me tell you a couple of things about this. Number one, when, when our kids were little, uh, and especially in the, the second home, we really lived in the second church I pastored. Uh, Michaela was five or six, seven, somewhere on through there. I don't remember how old she was, but uh, she was a little girl. And uh, I'd always leave for church early because uh, I'd get church real early on Sunday mornings. I still do that now. But, uh, and you say you went there to pray? Yeah, but it was, it was hectic at my house on Sunday mornings. Does anybody else have a hectic Sunday morning at your house? Like, well, I got to escape it. I was like, honey, I need to go spend time with the Lord. <laughs> and away from y'all. Because it's just crazy, man. Three, two girls trying to get ready. And so it, it was always, they'd show up at the, and I'd like, how, how, did, how, was it going? how was it this morning, girls? And they're like, Michaela couldn't find her shoes again. It was awful. Because here's why Michaela couldn't find her shoes. They'd come home after church, and Sherry would always say, girls, hang your dresses up and put your shoes in your closet. And Michaela's closet was also like her little play area, too. And so stuff was in there everywhere. And Michaela would take her shoes off. She'd go in her closet, and she, we caught her one time doing it. And here's what she did. She'd go, ah! <laughs> Well, you try to find that shoe. We'd have shoes up in top right-hand corners of shelves. And so what would happen is, uh, Shay would say on Sunday morning, now girls, go get your shoes and put them on. And uh, Michaela would come back with one shoe and she said, Mommy, I can't find the other one. And she'd say, well, did you put it in your closet? Uh-huh. Go show me where you put them. And she'd, she'd just walk in and point at the ground. And, and we couldn't figure out, well, if you put it there, it should be there. 
But I was at church praying during all this time. And uh, um, it was, it was to, to say it was stressful, my, they'd come in on two wheels late on Sunday mornings. To say it was stressful is unbelievable. So here's what, my, here's what we figured out. We wish somebody had told us this point. I'm trying to tell you. It wasn't like, oh, don't worry about the shoes. Send them barefoot. No, man, you can't send your kids barefoot to church. You got to dress them like normal people. And so what we do is we'd lay their clothes and shoes out on Saturday night. So the stress was the night before. We got so good at this, we, when we were getting ready for school in the mornings, we put bowls of dry cereal on the table so all you had to do was add milk in the mornings. Organize. Did you know incomplete tasks rob you of a happy home? And I got proof for you. It's called the Zygarnik effect. And here's what it says. Research shows that the human mind hates unfinished tasks, incomplete tasks, incites something called psychic tension. As long as you leave the task unfinished, your brain is in an uncomfortable position. So here, here's literally what it means. As long as your bed is not made, your brain is stressed out about it. As long as the dishes are not done, there is subconscious stress in your life. Let's see, did I put the rest of this up here? No, I didn't. Let me go back. Let me go back. Here's what that means. You have to clear out time in your life to be organized in order for you to have a happy home. Happy home is not disregarding responsibilities. Happy home is organizing, getting those done so that you can, your, your subconscious science tells us, will not allow you to be happy. Number six, spend time with them. You want to have a happy home? You just got to talk. You got to spend time around the meal. Look, all the research says, I didn't want to put all this up here, but research shows if you just have one family meal a week, you're way ahead of the game than if you have no family meals a week. Like, it could be at a restaurant. It can be in the living room. You just got to sit down and eat and talk. Stay up late at night sometimes and talk. Keep them, just do fun stuff. Like you say, well, they got school the next day. Let them miss a day of school. <laughs> now, if that doesn't get an amen out of the student section, y'all are not awake. You say, well, my kid's got perfect attendance. Look, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I really don't. But if you, if you haven't missed a day of school in 10 years, you know what they're going to give you when you walk up on stage? A piece of paper. That's going to get me in trouble right there, I know. But. <laughs> Number three, you want to have a happy home? You got to know discipline is not a dirty word. Here's what Proverbs 13, 24 says. He who spares his rod hates his son, but who loves him disciplines him promptly. This is not a, by the way, the word discipline there means to restrain, warn, check, correct, rebuke, instruct. Now, this is not a sermon from an old geezer who's saying you ought to spank your kids. I am by no means saying that. Whatever, have you, your discipline ought to be godly. It ought to be healthy. I by no means saying that. I, I was spanked as a child. And I listen, here personally, I thank God for every spanking I got. I thank God for every spanking I got away with something and didn't get. Like, I'm just thankful all the way around. I'm just thankful. Uh, it's not saying, I, I'm not preaching, spanking, hear me wrong, because sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. Here's what I'm telling you. Good parenting requires discipline. 
Kids without rules or boundaries are headed for trouble. You know why? The world has boundaries. You know what? When that red light turns red, you know what the world expects you to do? That's called a boundary. And if you raise kids with no boundaries and you turn them loose in the world, the world does not accept that very well. The police expect boundaries out of your child. Here's what we learned. Don't go buy this book, but uh, uh, there's a book called uh, Nurture Shock, Thinking About Children. Let me show you this one thing out of it. Here's what they discovered in research. Pushing a teen into rebellion by having too many rules was a statistical myth. A statistical myth. That actually doesn't happen. Kids who go wild and get into trouble mostly have parents who don't set rules or standards. Their parents are loving and accepting no matter what they do. Now get this. The kids take the lack of rules as a sign their parents do not actually care. That their parent doesn't really want this job of being the parent. Ironically, the type of parents who are actually most consistent in enforcing rules are the same parents who are listed as most warm and have the most conversations with their kids. They've set a few rules over certain spheres of influence and they've explained why the rules are there. They expect the child to obey the rules. Over life's other spheres, they support the child's autonomy, allowing their freedom to make their own choices. These kids of these parents lied the least. So no boundaries, no rules equals bad. Your kids even interpret that as my parents don't care about me. So how do you discipline well? Here it is quickly. Number one, have clear boundaries in key areas. And the two key words are clear and key. Have very clear boundaries in very key areas. Number two, do not have too many rules. Can I tell you this? Can I confess? This is the mistake we made with our first child. She survived it, but I apologized to her later on in life. We had a rule for everything. Like everything was a rule. A preacher's kid, I'm new in the ministry. We're trying to force our kid to do everything that we wanted to do. And so we just had too many rules. And, and we told her, we, said, we messed up. We had too many rules. By the time five years later, we got a do-over with Michaela. We, lacked, we loosened up on the rules a little bit. And Savannah let us know it. <laughs> Don't have too many rules. You've got to have, kids have got to have autonomy. Listen to this. Let me tell you something that's going to upset you, parents. By the time you're eight, your kids are 18, they should be making their own decisions or be capable of making their own decisions. The reason they can't is we're making every decision for them. They have to, it's got to be trial and error. You say, well, I don't want my kid to make a bad decision. Eh, it's all right. If it's not life or death, I'm not talking about playing the highway or not playing the highway. Let them make their own decision. Now, number three, get this, along the same lines, teach them the why, not just the what. Here's why we have this rule. If you don't have a good why, you don't have a good rule. If you don't have a good why, you don't have a good rule. Number four, expect obedience. Don't yell and scream for it, expect it. Number five, obviously, don't punish mistakes. Number six, be consistent. Hey, listen to this. You can't laugh at it today and punish it tomorrow. You can't let them buy with it today and be angry about it tomorrow. That rule's gone forever once you do that. Be consistent. Number seven, 
Sometimes the consequences of a bad decision are the best teacher. We're so worried about keeping our kids from making mistakes, sometimes just let them make the mistake. When I was seven, years, seven eight years old, we lived on a subdivision, had a it was dirt road and it had a big hill. And my dad had told me this particular night not to ride the bicycle down the hill. And I did it anyway. I had a friend dared me. If you're eight or nine years old, whatever, and a friend dares you, you have to do what they dared you to do, right? It's in the Bible somewhere. And so I, I, I rode down that hill as fast as I could, though my daddy had said not to. And I hit a rock on the way down. It was a dirt road and started wobbling. And then the bike leaned over on my left side. And I skidded about 20 yards on dirt gravel road on this side of my face and body. And uh, I, I got, I didn't get up. Actually, I, I said I got up in road service. I didn't get up. I rolled over and this side of my face was my eye and everything was just scraped to pieces. Blood was dripping off my face. I had it scraped all the down. I mean, I was a mess. That wasn't the worst part. The worst part, the neighbor went and got my daddy. <laughs> they carried me back home. They bandaged me up. I missed several days of school. It was worth it for that. I missed several days of school and, and uh, um, I never got that perfect attendance warning, just in case you're asking. I, I never got it. Um, but I'm sure those that did have a nice piece of paper hanging on the wall. But anyway, uh, 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 there's so much. I, anyway, um, uh, I'm proud of you if you did that, by the way. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Uh, I'm laying on the couch, bandaged up, scab. I mean, I'm a mess. I'm still terrified. My daddy told me not to go down the hill. I said, he's going he's gonna to let me have it. And so he walked through the living room. I just got the courage to say it. I said, hey, am I going to get a spanking? He looked at me, scars, bandaged. He said, nah, I think you learned your lesson, didn't you? And I said, oh, yeah, baby, I learned my lesson. I learned my lesson. I learned my lesson. Sometimes a bad decision is its own best teacher. Don't protect them from every bad decision. That's how they grow. Now, I'm not talking about life-threatening things, but you have to let them make their own decisions so that they can become an adult. Number eight, and I'm done on this. Direct disobedience must have consequences. The only thing that must have consequences is direct disobedience. Let me show you a fourth thing. I got to hurry. Number four, teach, don't preach. I love these Bible verses. Proverbs uh, chapter four, verse, uh, in verse three and four, said, when I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words. Now, here, keep my commands to live. Here's the picture in, in Proverbs chapter four. Go back and read this in Proverbs four. It's so beautiful. It is the picture the proverb uh, writer is telling us that his dad would get him up when he was a toddler and he'd take him on a walk and he'd say, son, let me tell you how you can live a blessed life. Let me tell you the do's and the don'ts of the world. And listen, I just want to tell you, you have got to understand that sometimes parenting hits you so hard, we don't have time to reflect and plan and engage. And parenting degenerates into barking orders instead of teaching principles. And we preach instead of teach. Can I tell you something? Let me preach, you teach. And so along those lines, I'm not even going to preach this point. I'm going to let you do it yourself. Here's some questions to ask yourself. Number one, what do you want your kids to say about you when they are grown and you are gone? When they are grown and you are gone, what do you want them to say about you? Do you want them to say, Mama, she was the most loving person, best cook? Or do you want to say, yes, yeah, she chased us with the fly swatter around the house all her life? She yelled at us all the time. Boy, mama could yell. Is that, is that what you want? What do you want to say about dad? You want to say, well, dad, he was just the most caring, 
he loved us kids or do you want them to say, well, he's never home. We, we barely knew him growing up. You're, you're programming that into them right now. Ask yourself this question. Number two, what sayings or principles do you want to have been known for? You, you've heard somebody say, an adult say, well, like my daddy always said. What, what do you want that to be for you? Like my daddy always said, bring me another Coke out of the refrigerator. Is that what you want to be known for? Like you ought to have some principles that you train into your children. And I'm, I'm running out of time. Number three, what skills do you want to have taught them? Ladies, what skills do you want to taught your girls? Men, what skills do you want to taught your boys? You want to teach them how to fish or play golf? Then you got to go fish and play golf with them. All right. And then, next, what attitudes or social skills do you want them to know? Like if you're a man, you need to treat your, teach your son how to treat a lady, how to go on a date. If you're a wife, you need to treat your teach your daughter how to be a lady, how to act like a woman. Teach them manners, the art of conversation. Look, my wife, all our life has been obsessed with teaching us manners. She, would buy, she buys manners books, and apparently I, I just can't get the right fork down. It is disturbing because she, keeps, she bought a manners book the other day that was that thick. And we all go to the house. You know what she does? She pulls it out. Now, if you're at a formal engagement, I'm eating off a paper plate right now. Can I let that go? No, if you're at a formal, <laughs> she's teaching us manners. And number five, what do you want them to know about walking with God in the Bible? What do you want them to know about morality, sin, in the church? Can I tell you this? Don't, don't leave that to me to teach them. You need to teach them, and I'll reinforce it. In five, I'm done. Five, you want to have, you want to. You, you want to have a parent like a pro, five, use the Bible as your God. Psalm 119.105, your word is a lamp unto my feet, it's a light into my path. You're going to need a plumb line in parenting life. And don't follow culture, don't follow trends, don't follow society, don't follow what's popular. Follow the B-I-B-L-E. Let me give you five things. I'm done. Number one, let your whys refer back to the Bible. If you have a rule, it'll have a biblical principle to it. If you have a do and a don't, it ought to have a biblical principle to it. So you're teaching your kids to follow the Bible. Number two, don't say one thing and do another. You follow the Bible. They spot hypocrisy like that. And you can't say, don't, don't do as I say. What, do as I say, not as I do. That doesn't work. They'll always do what you do. So you follow the Bible. Number three, don't ever tear down the preacher or the church ever, ever. Now, close your Bibles and look this way. I want to make this point. You don't need to write the next two down. They're simple. And then it's online, pvine.org. Look this way. Do you know why some kids get out of church and we're losing kids at an alarming rate in Christianity in general? You know why? Because as soon as you leave church, you get in the car and you tear down the church and the preacher. You tear down the student pastor, the kids pastor. Can I tell you something? You're going to want me one day. You're going to want your kids to have listened to a sermon I preached. And if you have spent the previous years tearing the church down, I will not be an authority figure in your kid's life. And you want me to be. You want Nathan to be. You want Jeremy to be an authority figure in your life. Do you know why so many preacher's kids go south? You know, it's a running joke about preacher's kids. It's true. You know why they go south? Because mom and dad get in the car, pastor and wife, and all the way home, they talk about how bad the church treated them. And by the way, the church did treat them poorly. It's not a joke. 
But your kids never need to know that. Never. Because you're going to want Nathan to preach a sermon that your kids go, wow, I needed that. But if you tear him down and say, hey, well, I know that's the way the preacher thinks, but you're going to want me one day. You're going to wish they listened to something I preached. But it's not going to work because you've been tearing down the preacher in the church. By the way, having said that, keep your kids involved in the church. Keep them involved. When they have youth camp, send them. When they have kids camp, send them. You say, preacher, that's a lot of money. I get it. I know it. Save and send them. Because there are a lot of life-changing experience happen at youth camp in the summer. Number four and five, I'm done. Share insights from the Bible and sermons. When you read a verse that really speaks to your heart, go tell your family, hey, I read this verse. I added two verses to my prayer life the other day. I, I pray a lot of scripture when I pray, and I, I found two verses I'd never seen them before in Genesis 39. And, and, and I, I said, I went to my wife, because that's who was home at the time. I said, hey, let me show you these two verses. Man, I'm praying these in my life right now. I've never seen these before. I've done that with my kids over the years. We talk about sermons, how they impacted our lives. And number five, read the Bible a lot and pray its promises and principles over your children and your family. There's how you parent like a pro. Have your own stuff together. Make home happy. Know that discipline's not a dirty word. Teach, don't preach, and use the Bible as your guide. Let's stand together. I know it's a lot to take in. I'd encourage you to go watch it again this week on our app. Check it out at pvine.org slash glue. Let's bow our heads together. We're, we're going to be finished in just a couple minutes, but our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, if you're here today and you'd like to join our church, if you're here today and you'd like to be baptized, we're baptizing in two weeks on May 19th. You'd like to be baptized? I'm gonna, we're going to sing one verse, one chorus. This is for you. And I'm going to invite you to come down and say, I need to be a Christian. I need to be baptized. I need to join this church. It's where God's called me to be. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. God, draw us with your spirit you've spoken to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Josh is singing. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.